So you kind of mentioned when you were editing the last episode that you were interested in doing some theme music or in ha having some theme music at any rate. Yes. Yes, that is true. Um, what do you think that theme music should be? Um, I don't know. I forget. What did we used to use? Well, <laughs> back in the day, we had some funky elect electronic music, you know, instrumental. Um and then I, you know, I honestly don't remember. I think we had like three or four different, you know, opening and closing tunes over the years, and we certainly had a bunch of like um, interstitial music that that I was getting from, um, you know, some of those. We're a band. We want our music to get out there, so we'll give you, you know, rights to all of our stuff to use in podcasts. Blah blah. Um, but. I don't, you know, I don't think I was ever really attached to, to much of that stuff. So, um, and I, frankly, like when I listen to podcasts myself, like I want to hear that music for less than three seconds, right? It's like music and then just get started talking because then you're sort of in a ridiculous place of, you know, does anybody ever really listen to that music? No, they, you know, hit next track so they can get started on the next podcast. Yeah, um, but you know, I think it would be nice to have some kind of musical intro. Yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I just you know, I don't know what that would be. Okay. And I guess I I personally don't care enough. Other than that, I don't want it to be obnoxious. Like I know there's the punk rock tune called Stomp Tokyo, and I really didn't like that. <laughs> You're talking about the one by the Creeping Crudes? I I guess so. I I. It came up on a search when I searched for Stomp Tokyo on iTunes. Yeah. You know, I was looking for the podcast, and that's, yeah. that came up. And, it's the Keeping Creds. Right. I was like, oh, well, let me listen to this. Maybe that would be good theme music. And it was like, no, I cannot handle that. Oh, see, I really like the Keeping Creds, but in any case. <laughs> well, you're allowed, but... No, I think we should find something, you know, instrumental that we can talk over for a few seconds before it fades Okay, I'll, I'll find something then. Yeah. Uh, that is easy enough. Um, I may yeah. find some. I may just choose something electronic yeah. and Japanese. Ooh, electronic and Japanese. Um, um, you know, I can leave really this in. Steal can leave this in in case any listeners, all four of you, have any uh, recommendations. But um, um, yeah, maybe something from the Katamari soundtrack. Maybe. But regardless, you're listening to Stomp Tokyo, the cult movies podcast, and my name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. And we're here to talk about movies, crappy and otherwise. Um, and Scott, you, you pulled together a bunch of trailers uh, for me to watch, and boy, did I ever enjoy watching them. <laughs> Your sarcasm is noted. Well, most of them were okay. I mean... Um, I want to talk about Chinese Zodiac last. But okay. We can do the other ones in order. 
Um, and we're going to put links to these and all the sh to all of these in the show notes. So if you want to sort of know what we're talking about as we're talking about them, you can pause now, go and watch the trailers, or you can just listen to us describe them. Um, the first one was uh, Jack the Giant Killer. Yes, uh, directed by Brian Singer. And it definitely has that Brian Singer look, doesn't it? Yes. The, the kind of, I don't know, what, what would you call that? Like, very kind of clean. Yeah, it has a hard edge to it. Um, it's desaturated just a little bit. Yeah, just a little bit. You know, it's that X-Men look. Yeah, you know? and so, so even though it's a, I mean, it's Jack the Giant Killer, it is, you know, Jack and the Giant Beanstalk, but it doesn't really look like many fantasy films do. Yeah, definitely. Singer did. Um, oh, geez. Um, I, you know what, I'll look that up, and I want you to tell me what you thought of the X-Men First Class movie. What did it, uh, I think of the X-Men First yeah. Class movie? I loved it. Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I mean... I, I guess the thing that I absolutely uh, loved about it was the 1960s setting. Um, I loved all the I loved all the um, all the uh, costumes. I loved all the furniture they used. Um, you know, I also like Mad Men for for largely the same reason, um, and, and beyond beyond the, the the setting. I thought it was a pretty pretty good movie. Um, you know, obviously based on. Uh, on some of the uh, more recent versions of the X-Men. Right. Um, um, and some of whom I have not actually seen and don't know about. But quite possibly. Like Angel is from Grant Morrison's run on X-Men, stuff like that. Yeah, I haven't, haven't read an X-Men comic book in, well, I <laughs> think since my daughter was born. So five, in, five years and change. Um, the last thing Brian Singer did was Valkyrie. Oh, yeah, the one with Tom Cruise as the Nazi officer. Yes. Um, I have not seen that. And this is the first thing that he's directed since then, which was 2008. But he's been the producer on a bunch of stuff, so. Yeah, I'm sure he's keeping busy. I mean, I understand that he's working on another version of Battlestar Galactica, so. Oh, that's cool. I mean, um, as a television series? No, it would be as a movie. Interesting. Okay. I'm not sure we need that, but whatever. <laughs> so, Jack the Giant Killer retelling of basically Jack and the Beanstalk. Yes, uh, right down to the uh, the he's got the beans, and they tell him not to make them, not to get them wet. So, uh, apparently, they're gremlin, they're uh, gremlin poop. The gremlin beans, yes. <laughs> um, I you know I suppose this can all be explained away by magic, but I do love. You know, the way that uh, those sort of transformations from beans to giant, you know, beanstalk happen instantaneously. Yeah. With, with no thought for, you know, conservation of mass or, or whatever. And I realize I'm, I'm bringing the party down by even bringing that up. But, you know, yeah, sometimes okay. it's like, you know, I think even magically, it, didn't it take like overnight in the... Uh... Yeah, he planted them and then the next, when he woke up the next morning... The, the, right, the thing. but I, I think it was the Mickey Mouse cartoon was the one where they first had them, you know, grow. Yeah, um, instantly. Uh, you know, what are, what are you going to do? I mean, it does seem it did. Uh, there were some things in that trailer that kind of, you know, we mentioned that it has a, a kind of a grittier look to it. Mm -hmm. Yet, the bean stalks still looked 
you know, very magical. Like yeah. it didn't quite fit in with the rest of it. Well, you asked me, what are you going to do? And my answer to that is I'm going to get those kids off my lawn. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yes. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that one's going to be all in the, in the writing. Yeah, you know? but like, you can't uh, I don't, is there like a single line of dialogue in, this, in that trailer? Yes, there was. Yes, there, but, yes, definitely. And it's, you know, Ewan McGregor and Nick Holt and Stanley Tucci. I mean, it's got a great cast. Ian yeah, McShane. Ian McShane, so... Yeah, um, um, yeah, it's going to be how good is the script, and you can't really tell from that trailer. Um, Chris McQuarrie is one of the writers. Uh, that he did uh, Usual Suspects. That's right. Darren Lemke and Dan Studney. Um, Darren no Lemke, idea. who did, ooh, Shrek. Oh. A Shrek Forever After. Yeah, nothing that I've even heard of. Dan Studney, who did Reef for Madness, the movie musical. Okay. Um, which was funny, but not great. Sabrina, the animated series. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, Weird Science, the TV series. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. Awesome. Mm, well, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. Yes, that's true. I, I, I should not cast aspersions, even though I'm really good at it. All right, so enough with Jack the Giant Killer. What's the, the next one on our uh, list? Ghost, Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. I have to say, I have a ton of respect for Nicolas Cage for kicking it old school. Like, this <laughs> guy, like, he is the, you know, sort of, um, who was, which Fonda was it? Who is it? It was Henry Fonda who is in Oct uh, Octopi or whatever, you know. Tentacles. Octopus. Tentacles, thank you. It was called. Was it Tentacoli in Italian? Yeah, it was Tentacoli. Okay, that's why I was getting the Octopi thing mixed up. But, you know, he's sort of the Henry Fonda of his day, right? Like, you know, at one point a respected and, and talented actor, now just sort of cashing it in for the paychecks. <laughs> and, and taking it deadly seriously as he does so. Yeah, that, I mean, um, oh, geez. Did you see uh, Season of the Witch? I did not. Um, yeah, that was that was a terrible movie. Um, and, uh, geez, I mean, I guess it sat on the shelf for like two years. Yeah. I mean, it sat on the shelf for long enough that, uh, Robert Sheehan, who is in the TV show Misfits, is younger in season of the witch than he was in the first season of, of Misfits. Mm. And, you know, he's not, he's a t teenager. So it was like, wow, yeah. how long has this been sitting there? <laughs> um, it, but yeah, another one where he just seemed to be taking it so seriously, even though it was a terrible script. Hey, man, he's got to pay for that um, pyramid-shaped mausoleum in uh, the New Orleans Cemetery somehow. Does he uh, really have one there? He does, or? he does. I have been to it. I have taken its picture. Really? It is, it's in the oldest cemetery in New Orleans, St. Louis Number 1. Um, which is n near the city center, so that's how you know it's old because like the really big big ones are out further. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he bought a plot there, and it has this pyramid shaped, you know, they're not called mausoleums, they're um, vaults, I guess. But you know, the, in in New Orleans, what they do is the the vaults are basically just ovens heated by the sun, so. They put you in there, and you decompose over the years, and your remains are basically baked until they settle down. 
And when you've been there, been in there long enough, then they put another family member in on top of you. And so it's just sort of this layers and layers of family remains in these, you know, basically big concrete boxes. Um, I, I'll put a link in the show notes to, you know, the St. Louis Cemetery and, and how this process works. So but Was this a new, a new development? Did he, I mean, does he have connection to New Orleans that I don't know of? Um, you mean other than Zandali? Well, other than, well, I guess Zandali, and he was recently in uh, the, the Bad Lieutenant remake mm-hmm, slash mm-hmm. sequel, which was also in New Orleans. I don't know if he has particular Louisiana. Um, I mean, presumably. He, he has a house there. Oh, okay, maybe that's it. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, obviously he doesn't have strong connection there because he's a Coppola. So, right, right, you know. right, right. I, I don't know. Um, he, he apparently bought up a, a famous, you know, the house of Delphine Lalari um, oh. in Louisiana. Okay, I did not know that. But, um, yeah. Uh, and in 2009, put two New Orleans homes up for sale. Mm, yes. At any rate, you know. So, I, apparently that's where he wants to be buried. I have a picture of um, the, uh, the mausoleum, the vault, or whatever you want to call it, um, my friend Claudette sort of reclined in front of it, and the um, there's a an inscription on it, like it's in Latin. I think it means, you know, all are one or something like that. I'll I'll post the picture in the show notes. Um, so, so to the spirit of vengeance trailer, what did you think of that? Well, I haven't I haven't seen the original Ghost Rider, mm. um, which you know. Again, it's one of those things where <laughs> when when you get old and have children and you have to sort of restrict your viewing of adult material, you know, to just a couple of hours after they go to bed, making the choice to see Ghost Rider suddenly becomes much more serious. <laughs> um, it did have Peter Fonda it did have Peter Fonda in it, which was pretty funny. That um, is funny. Uh, um, he was he was playing Satan, so yeah. that was good. At any rate, you know, I mean it looks great. I'm I'm a little upset that I you know I can see Ang Lee's Hulk on Netflix streaming, but I can't see Ghost Rider. That doesn't seem fair somehow. Hmm. Like you know, you expect like the bottom of the barrel, low quality stuff to be on Netflix streaming and the good stuff to. You know, but in, based on your opinion of Ang Lee's Hulk, maybe that's the way things should be. I don't know. <laughs> I'm actually one of the probably bigger fans of Ang Lee's Hulk. I, I really liked it. But yeah. anyway, I, I thought, you know, maybe I'll put Ghost Rider in my queue and, and watch that at some point soon. And it turns out I have to get it on DVD. Yeah. Um, so one thing which kind of struck me about the, the Spirit of Venice trailer is that it looked like it might be a little bit spoilery. Yeah. I, I mean... I don't know that um, that that really matters. Quite honestly, it, it might not. I was just a little kind of surprised. It shows. I mean, it looks like the scene is that they've decided that any vehicle that Ghost Rider is riding becomes, you know, a hell vehicle. Mm-hmm. And so it looks like what I'm assuming is the climax of the movie. He's like turned a giant Earth mover. Into a giant, into a giant hell, motorcycle. hell motorcycle, um, and I imagine that's the end of the movie. I mean, I don't know that yeah. they're going to try to top that. 
Well, I mean, you know, th- this is the way it is with all trailers, right? I mean, people want to know what they're getting into. Mm. And they would rather have a few spoilers and know, like, the general tenor and structure of the movie so that they know what they're paying for, right, rather than be totally surprised. There are those of us who would rather be totally surprised. You know, I think you and I are, are both those people. But, um, yeah. I yeah. guess you're right. But, yeah, I mean, I, I have a feeling that I would probably be... I have found myself to be more disposed to, like, especially kind of B-movies, like, say, uh, Predators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of like that because, you know, I went into it with having seen the trailers, and it gave me, you know, somewhat more than what I expected. Mm-hmm. Huh? Um, and, you know... I definitely get the sense from this trailer that it kind of shows all the best parts. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, who knows? Maybe it will actually make some money, unlike the first one. And, uh, you know, it'll it'll be a big hit for Nicolas Cage. One can only hope. I guess we I guess we can hope. He needs he needs to help. I think he just sold his uh, his uh, action comics. Number one. Oh, really? Well, I mean, it's it just went up for auction. It wasn't exactly clear who owned it. It was like the best copy of Action Comics number one that's come to auction in years. Um, it's believed to be the one that was stolen from Nicolas Cage's house. Really? Yeah. And, um, you know, they didn't say who was selling it, but if it was the one that was stolen from his house, then he was probably he was probably selling it. It was mm. like recovered. It was recovered in a storage unit in Los Angeles or something a couple years ago. Huh. Um, but if it was his stolen, if it was his stolen uh, property, then presumably he would get to sell it. Presumably. Yes. Yeah. All right. So moving on. Um, Redline. Redline. I noticed that Redline's played a couple of, um, genre festivals fantasia for one it didn't play fantastic fest so i did not get to see it but i was intrigued that the people who had done summer wars were involved with this summer wars see that i don't i don't recognize summer wars is an anime i I mean it's the kind of thing i can't possibly describe to you but if you can get your hands on it definitely definitely see it it's it's excellent um redline looks like Sort of Robotech meets heavy metal. Um, heavy metal would be the most obvious, the most obvious touch, 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 uh, touchstone for it. Yeah. Um, um, see, I've I've actually already seen the movie. Yeah. Um, because it came out in Japan like two years ago. Um, it's it's visually spectacular, if for no other reason. You know, some most of the racing scenes are incredible. Um, I did feel like the movie kind of lost its uh, lost its uh, plot towards the, the very end, mm-hmm. and suddenly starts being about something other than the race. Um, you know, it's about r- alien racing across robo world or robot world. Mm-hmm. You know, this militaristic planet that doesn't want people racing across it. Um, but uh, there are many individual sequences that are incredible and well worth seeing. 
Yeah, I mean, it looks it looks interesting. I don't have a handle on on what it's about other than you know racing cars and. Uh, it's pretty much about racing cars. Okay. <laughs> There's not much. I mean, the the definition of what a car is 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 pretty loose, because okay. one of the one of the one of the racing teams is basically uh, in a giant robot woman that fires lasers from her breasts. And I'm not exactly sure how that qualifies as a car, but there you go. Yeah, it didn't particularly excite me. There are those sort of old school anime style or anime trailers that are sort of like extended music videos. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. I, I find it difficult to get, to get you know, my gander up to, to see those movies. But hopefully it'll surprise me. Um, I, I noticed it was only coming to like L.A. and New York. Is, is it... Probably going direct to video after that. Um, probably. I, I thought I saw something about it getting a larger release, like in February of next year. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a while ago. I'm not sure if that's true anymore. GI yeah. Joe 2, or actually GI Joe Retaliation. In which they apparently kill most of the characters from the original movie in the first 10 minutes. and then, I, I hope so, yes. And then The Rock has to go avenge them with help from Bruce Willis. It looks like that is what the plot more or less is. Um, plus, plus ninjas. And ninjas. Well, I think that the, I mean, they show a female ninja in, re in a red costume. Mm -hmm. So that would probably be Jinx, if you remember her. Mm -hmm. uh, you remember G.I. Joe the movie? Vaguely. If you remember in G.I. Joe the movie, they introduced Jinx along with a bunch of, of other new G.I. Joes. I do recall that, um, yes. There was one played by Don Johnson. There was, I think, the, uh, there was, wasn't there like a basketball guy? I think there was like a basketball guy. Oh, who knows? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it seems like they've gone that deep into the, uh, into the G.I. Joe, into the G.I. Joe toy chest to find, to find some new characters. Yeah. I don't exactly get who Bruce Willis is going to be playing. It's kind of a weird thing, I have to say, um, because, um, like, the reveal at the end of the last one was that, you know, a certain actor was actually a Cobra Commander, right? Um, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but... I do not... Well, the movie came out a while ago. I don't remember that. At the end of the movie, like, the the kidnapped scientist, essentially is revealed as the mastermind behind the whole thing. And he's the actual Cobra Commander, not Doctor Who. Holy crap, I, don't, I do not remember that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'll take your word for it. Um, I mean, Christopher Eccleston was supposed to be Destro. Yes. But, but obviously his, his, complete, uh, his complete allergy to success has meant that he's not coming back for the second movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the... Uh, I mean, so the disgraced British talent in this in this retaliation movie is going to be Jonathan Price as the right. American president. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't see much of anyone from the original cast in this this version. Um, anyway, I, so Bruce Willis's <laughs> character is called Joe Colton. I have no idea who that yeah. is supposed to be. Um, Channing Tatum as Duke, Dwayne Johnson as Roadblock, yes. Adrian Palicki as Lady J. Um, and yes, Jinx returns as a character. Okay. 
Well, that's that's great. Apparently, the big bad guy will be played by Arnold Vosloo as Zartan. Oh, jeez, he's playing Zartan. Yes, he is. Oh, god. Who is Zartan? I've forgotten. Zartan. Okay. I mean, let's just be clear here. I'm really bad with these things. Zartan, I believe, was the master of disguise. Ooh. Um, I believe, if I remember his figure correctly, it was, if you put it in light, it would turn dark, which didn't really seem to help in terms of being a master of disguise. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, that was, that was Zartan's thing, I think, was that he was master of disguise. Interesting. Which I guess, I guess that fits into the whole idea that the G.I. Joes get betrayed and destroyed and, and all that stuff. Hmm. He'll okay, probably, he'll I, probably, yes. yeah, he'll Master probably. Master of disguise, and he had a, a, a bow and arrow, apparently. <laughs> well, they all had the most random weapons. Can alter his skin color at will to blend in with his environment. Practitioner of several mystic martial arts. He's also a ventriloquist. <laughs> <laughs> A linguist in over 20 languages and dialects, and an acrobatic contortionist. Zartan and the Dreadnoughts have also been known to use holographic technology and other means to disguise themselves. The weird thing is you just described my perfect date. It's amazing. (laughs) Jeez. Oh, man. Okay. You know what? I I did not hate the first G.I. Joe movie. Really? I did not. I I thought, you know, it was exactly what it should have been. You know, a a popcorn movie, basically. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I didn't like go see it again or anything, but you know, like I didn't feel cheat. I, I saw it on Blu-ray. I didn't feel cheated. Um, it definitely, you know, was worth my dollar fifty or whatever. Anyway. Yeah. I, so I was, I'll, I was less a fan. I'll probably um, see it, you know, on Blu-ray than, you know, this one. All right. So that's G.I. Joe 2. Uh, tell me about this concept trailer for Goliath. Um, well, the big thing about that is that the guy is saying that he put the trailer together for 150 bucks. Um, I don't see how that's possible, unless he was just taking footage from other movies. Well, there is some footage. Well, there's at least one small piece of footage from another movie. Um, but you know, obviously, all the robot stuff is is you know his animating. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot of people are calling BS on the uh, on the hundred and fifty dollars thing. I mean, they're saying that you know just the props for the apparent actors that he got would cost more than that, right? Which which seems reasonable. Um, it's still, um, you know, obviously it didn't cost a whole lot, and it's amazing what you can do with special effects these days for very little money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, just just to talk a little bit about it, you know, it's it's a giant robot kind of alien invasion picture um you know it, it there's no evidence that anybody is actually interested in making the entire movie i think this right. guy is just trying to show what he can do with a small budget All right and this is it's five minutes long apparently a proof of concept is it a story from somewhere that we should know about no I mean, no 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 they just made it out of whole cloth yes yes okay well, I mean, I guess as an you know, as a cinematic exercise, it's kind of cool. But um, beyond that, yeah, I mean, obviously, before it became a, a real movie, it would need it would need some serious script doctoring. Um, yeah, well, and yeah, 
And a script. And a script, yes. Um, the design stuff is pretty neat, though, I, I must say. I do like the what the, uh, the, the Soviet robots look pretty cool, and the, uh, and the robot that the good guys find at the end is a pretty neat design. So yeah. I like that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, like I say, looks cool. Um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of people sort of heard about District 9, was it? Um, yeah, District 9. I, because of District B13 and all those kinds of, like, I get the numbers mixed up. District District 9 was the Neil Blomkamp movie. I'm not good with numbers. Anyway, so, yeah. All right, so let's talk about the main, the main event here, which is this Jackie Chan. We talked about Jackie Chan last. Uh, no, we we have one more to do first. Yeah, one more. The the Dario Argento's oh, Dracula. Dracula. Oh, and we were going to talk about the Doctor Who thing too. Um, let's do let's do Dracula first. Okay, Dracula. Um, okay, so Dracula, Dario Argento. When was this movie made? <laughs> what the, this is, what he's working on right now. I patently refuse to believe that. <laughs> Oh, dear. You haven't seen very many of his recent movies, have you? I don't even know if that phrase makes sense, patently disbelieve, but... <laughs> You'll do it anyway? Yeah, yeah I just can't, can't bring myself to believe that. No, just, I mean, he, he, he's been making all of his movies in recent, in recent years have been very low-budget, shot-on-video, pretty much everything. Well, I mean, the video... But the, I mean, get a red camera, you can shoot video that looks just as good as film, right? Yeah. I mean, and they're not that expensive. So, like, why is he shooting on, you know, a Handycam? I don't, I don't understand this. I'm not sure that that's necessarily shot on a Handycam. Um, I think the problem may be bad lighting. Oh, whatever it is. Yeah, I no. mean, it, it, I mean it, it, it seems to have been shot in such a way that it makes it look even cheaper than it probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. Uh, you know... Beyond that, <laughs> um, the—I mean—it looks like it's pretty much a uh, pretty straight telling of Dracula. Um, a very straight, like something out of like like a cross between a Hammer film and the Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, I mean, it just—I don't know. Well, it I just mean, seems really ridiculous, and and I guess maybe it's just Argento living in the past. But I mean, he's got Rutger Hauer for Pete's sake. Yes, and Asia Argento is his daughter yes. is in there. Um, and what's the name of the guy who plays the actual vampire? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, Thomas oh. Kretschmann. Okay, doing his best, Christopher Plummer, as far as I can tell. Yeah, very young Christopher Plummer. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so, I mean, the thing is that the trailer is completely boring. I mean, this, to be added, to be fair, this trailer is not actually the trailer that we as the audience are supposed to be seeing. This was a trail trailer that they are showing to people who might want to distribute the film, right. saying... You know, this is the sizzle reel. These are all the best parts, and it's essentially just a, a series of of gory killings. Except, a lot of the gore effects don't seem to be completed yet. Even so, it is 
there's very little in this that you would look and say, oh, this is Dario Argento, who used to be a really stylish director, and here's his most recent stylish work. This could be anybody doing this. Yeah, yeah. With the one exception, <laughs> the one shot in the movie where you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. A crazy person is making this movie. <laughs> and that's when someone gets attacked by a giant praying mantis. That was kind of awesome. That, that was when I sort of sat up and took notice. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I don't know if that's supposed to be a dream sequence or if in this version they've taken the whole Dracula can turn into animals to mean Dracula can turn into giant praying mantises. Well, um, we, I, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Dracula can turn into animals from the, you know, the, the white wolf scaring away the other wolves at the beginning of the, the trailer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then, yeah, taking it to the giant praying mantis stage is, that's pretty liberal. Well, I mean, in the, I mean, I suppose if you had, if you had to defend it, you know, mm -hmm. if I defend the indefensible in the novel and I, in Brad Stoke and in the Francis Ford Coppola movie, they, they include that scene where he turns into a a a, a pack of rats. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose that that is as biologically unlikely as, you know, him turning into a giant praying mantis. I suppose. Uh, okay. I think we've talked about this for way too long. <laughs> but, but giant praying mantis. No, no. Uh, let's talk about something fun. Okay, I was I had just finished editing the last episode three, uh, in which I responded to Blake Matthews, who sent us an email, and said that as far as I knew, Armor of God three was completely dead. That 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 movie didn't exist anymore. An hour after I finished editing it, uh, they posted a promo trailer for Chinese Zodiac, which appears to be the Jackie Chan movie that was Armor of God three. Um, it, it's, I mean, I don't, from the trailer, it's tough to tell if it's actually still Armor of God 3. They don't mention Armor of God 3, and it's not coming out until December of next year. Um, so I, it's, you know, it's, but it's definitely the same movie that they were talking about as being Armor of God 3. Uh, you know, you go back and you look, and that one was also called Chinese Zodiac. You know, it was going to be Armor of God 3, Chinese Zodiac. This movie okay. is just now just called Chinese Zodiac. Um, and it, you know, it looks very much like it's going to be the the similar kind of thing that Armor of God was with him, with Jackie Chan playing a globe hopping, uh, globe hopping archaeologist, treasure hunter, whatever. Yeah, which I mean, he was always really good at in the first two. Yes. Well, and, and, you know, to some extent, the movie that was uh, eventually called The Myth could have been Armor of God 3 as well. Right. Um, They're all Jackie Chan plays Indiana Jones kind of movies. Exactly. Um, does it look like he's sort of grooming new, you know, Hong Kong action stars? Um, well, he was. He definitely was for a while there. Um, the whole Gen X cops movies which he produced mm -hmm. um nicholas say and uh i can't remember who the other people were but there were like two other guys uh, sam lee i think was another one um but those were kind of supposed to be his him finding the next generation of of uh of action hero 
Um, one of the guys did kind of go on. Is it Nicholas Say? I guess it must have been Nicholas Say and Stephen Fung. Mm-hmm. Those were the two the two guys who kind of have gone on to to be fairly big stars. Yeah. And the promo reel for for Chinese Zodiac. I mean, it was not a, really a trailer at all. It was almost entirely behind the scenes. Yeah, stuff. it was just. I think it was just trying to remind us that the movie still existed. Right. <laughs> because quite honestly, I, I, you know, I had heard so little about it in the last two years that I thought it was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I guess this is going to be another one like Armor of God 2 where Jackie shoots it forever. Right. And then, you know, it finally gets done. Let's pretend that people out there listening have never heard of Jackie Chan for a <laughs> okay. second. All right. All right. Um, and part of, I mean, a lot of the stuff I don't even know. I'm curious about you know, his career leading up to this point and, you know, the, the sort of defining trait of Jackie Chan has always been ridiculous, practical, physical stunts. Yes. You know, the appeal of Jackie Chan is he's funny, he's willing to make a fool of himself, and he can do amazing stuff like jump from one building to another and uh, break an ankle but still keep going because that's how the movie gets made. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, if all goes well, he doesn't break the ankle, but I'm pretty sure there's some story like he's broken every bone in his body at one point or another, right? Allegedly, yes. Yeah. That, that he's broken, you know, every bone in his body in some three or four times. All right. So you've apparently read the autobiography? Yes. What's that called? Uh, I think it was just called My Story. Actual title. Um, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes, which, by the way, you can find at cultmoviespodcast.com if somehow you found this by not going to cultmoviespodcast.com. But anyway, um, I'll throw a link in there. Uh, so where did this guy come from? And, you know, like, can you pick out maybe three or four or five or six, you know, must-see films that if you don't know anything about Jackie Chan, this is how you get started? Um, sure. Um, you know, I mean, to go back to his, to his earliest life, basically, he was born to a poor family. Um, I believe they moved to Australia and then they decided to, uh, essentially turn, turn him over to a Peking opera school in Hong Kong, um, where, you know, he would get an education and a room and board to live in Hong Kong. And, um, you know, Peking Opera is kind of a, a, a stage craft that involves a lot of acrobatics. So, you know, and he was, he was in what was probably one of the uh, best Peking Opera schools, but kind of at a time in the, the, the 60s when Peking Opera was going out of, out, of, out of favor and the movies were coming in. So a lot of these, 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 you know, teenagers essentially who were coming out of Peking Opera went directly into the, into the, into the film industry as stuntmen. And so you have Jackie Chan and you have Sammo Hung, who was another, one of his classmates and Yuan Biao, who was one of his classmates. And there's a zillion other martial arts stars that you would probably recognize that all came up through this Peking Opera school uh, upbringing, but uh, you know Jackie Chan. He kind of was in the the in, throughout the nineteen seventies. He was 
had a lot of small roles in movies. He was in Enter the Dragon as, you know, a guy that Jackie Chan kills and You mean in, Bruce Lee. I'm sorry, that Bruce Lee kills in the uh the fight in the underground lair, stuff like that. Where Jackie Chan broke through as his own star was in a movie called Snake and Eagle Shadow. Um and that was uh a one of Yuan Wu Ping's first movies as a director, I believe. And it was one of the first kung fu comedies and um he followed it up later that same year with another movie called drunken master and that's really like the movie that made jackie chan a huge star in asia so did he do any of the more traditional like you know like more serious action the the, the things that showed up on uhf television oh yes yeah yeah yeah. um but always in bit parts small parts um there was one of them that he did. Yeah, the, the the closest thing that Jackie Chan made to kind of a traditional martial arts movie was Hand of Death with John Woo. Um, that's one of his kind of larger larger roles in that period before he broke through and became his own kind of actor. And then kind of what is most notable about, about Jackie Chan is he was always very ambitious. And right from from breaking through as a, uh, in Hong Kong. And he makes a few more movies like the young master and uh, dragon strike, but he moves to trying to break into the American market real quickly. So in 1980, he was in the big brawl and he was in the cannonball run movies, but it didn't really take the big brawl. I quite liked yeah, the big brawl is is a is an okay movie. Um, uh, you know, in the Cannonball Run movies, he's of course supposed to be playing a Japanese driver, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I'm, I don't know how the, how well that went over with with you know Hong Kong audiences. I don't know. Maybe they didn't show Cannonball Run in uh, in Hong Kong. I'm not really sure. It hardly matters. He collected a check. And... Yeah, yeah, and so kind of the the. The next period of his of his career was, um, you know, he he was ma- he was making movies. He made a ton of movies in Hong Kong, all throughout the eighties. But in nineteen eighty five, he makes Police Story, and that's definitely one that you need to see. Um, that's a, a really you know that's kind of Jackie Chan trying to make a a Western style action movie on his own terms, mm. and it is some of the most spectacular you know, stunt sequences and action sequences, you know, obviously not made with the kind of money that you would see in an American movie at the same time, but with a whole lot more creativity and a whole lot more visceral impact. Um, and, you know, he ended up making, uh, I guess, Police Story series ended up going to, there were the four of them directly, and then I guess there was New Police Story more recently. So I guess there were five in that series altogether. Um, probably the, another one that you don't want to miss is, is Armor of God 2 Operation Condor, which as we mentioned was Jackie Chan kind of doing the Indiana Jones thing only with, you know, far scarier stunts. Mm. Um, and you know, Operation Condor has the most hilarious ending fight where, Characters are fighting in a giant wind tunnel, being blown around uh, by someone up in the control thing, who's you know constantly trying to figure out what the switches are doing, so they're flying all over the place. 
It's really funny stuff. Um, and kind of, you know, from Armor of God 2 through 1994 is the kind of golden age of Hong Kong cinema in general. And, and you can almost mark the end of the golden age with Jackie Chan's Drunken Master 2, which is a fantastic movie. Probably the best fights that Jackie Chan has ever done. And from 1995 on, uh, we have Jackie Chan kind of trying to break back into the American market, and this time it took, even though it took a few years. But he starts making movies that are either set in the United States or are shot partially in English. Movies like Rumble in the Bronx and Mr. Nice Guy and Who Am I? Um, Rumble in the Bronx being by far the best of those three. Yeah, probably. Um, certainly the most successful in the United States, even though it, I don't think it came out until like 1998 or so. I mean, I think it definitely came out years after it came out in Hong Kong. Yeah. But yes, it was very successful and kind of introduced Jackie Chan to American audiences. And that's what led to Jackie Chan actually finally, you know, 20, uh, 20 years after he first tried becoming an actual Hollywood star, and he made Rush Hour and Shanghai Noon and The Tuxedo. Okay, so not everyone was great. But right, so, uh, so that, stop there for just a second. I think Rush Hour is the first film that people really know Jackie Chan from, at least in the West. Yes. Um, now that we're, what, 10, 20 years? How long has it been since Rush Hour? Uh, Rush Hour was 1998. So. Okay, so 10 plus years. Um, how do you personally feel about Rush Hour? Um, like, does it hold up? I, you know, I had not seen it for a while. Um, I, rem I remember it being kind of slow for what it was. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I don't know. Jackie Chan movies, you don't need a whole lot of, whole lot of character development. Well, no. I mean, we've always said that the the plot is just sort of like a skeleton to to hang the you know the action sequences. From. Yeah, and I guess it it has to do with how funny you think Chris Tucker is as well. See, that's where it breaks down for me. Is number one, it is slow, and number two, Chris Tucker as a comic foil for Jackie Chan is incredibly annoying. Mm -hmm. You know, you just spend all the time wondering why anyone would put up with such a jerk. Um, for me, Shanghai Noon was a much better, you know, attempt at that sort of, you know, comic buddy movie. Oh, I, I agree. Of all of his American movies, Shanghai Noon is by far my favorite. Yeah. Well, and it holds up. You know, you can watch that now and laugh. And Owen Wilson is just Owen Wilson. He's funny, you know. And he's got good lines. Who wrote that? Somebody, somebody good must have written that. I'll look at that. You, okay, so... Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights, where, what's been happening with Jackie Chan in the last 10 years? Uh, well, he kind of uh, went back to, uh, he went back to, uh, he has, I mean, he hasn't, he's not making as many Hollywood movies. You know, I think he's only made one recently, The Forbidden Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And even that was kind of a hybrid movie. I suppose Rush Hour 3. Um, but, you know, he kind of went back to, uh, back to making Hong Kong movies. Um, and, uh, you know, he's been transitioning out of being an action star and kind of trying to move more towards being, you know, either a straight-up comedian or a dramatic actor. So, you know, movies like Robin B. Hood uh, okay. and, uh, 
was was more or less a comedy. I mean, it did have some martial arts in it, but but not as much. And then uh, a couple years ago, he made a movie called The Shinjuku Incident, where he's a Chinese illegal immigrant in Japan, um, and that had no kung fu in it at all. That was pretty much just a, a straight a straight drama with some action some action in it. Um, and uh, um, oh, I guess he made a movie called The Spy Next Door. I didn't see that. I think that was an American. Oh, and Karate Kid. <laughs> <laughs> right, Karate Kid. Yes. I guess Karate Kid has some martial arts in it. Not not much. Yeah. I'm, trying to, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was... Have you seen the Karate Kid? I have not. It was actually pretty good. Um, I I'm get confused, though, because there was like a deleted scene that was included on the DVD, and I think that that was like... His big martial arts scene was actually cut out of the movie... Are you kidding me? No, no. I, I, think, I think I've got that right. Um, another one of the kind of transition movies was Little Big Soldier. That's like having Superman in your movie and saying, <laughs> hey, by the way, could you not fly? Yeah, you're, you're just going to have to be bitter about it. Could well, you not? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, as soon as I'm, I kind of, you could tell the deleted scene was there that kind of his character arc in in Karate Kid didn't quite finish the way you'd think it would, mm-hmm. but they kind of wanted to end on the, the little kid's victory. And it was kind of weird that then after the little kid wins the, 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 the tournament, they're like, Oh, now let's have another fight. Right. Which I suppose did seem a little, little odd. So Shanghai noon was written by Miles Millar and Alfred Go. Oh, Okay, so the guys who did uh, uh, Smallville, Smallville and... Yeah, okay. I suppose that makes some sense. Yeah. Didn't they also write Spider-Man 2? They may have been among the many listed writers of Spider-Man 2. I forget. Yeah. Screen Story is what they're... Um, along with uh, Michael Chabon. Yeah. Um, I don't think either of them actually ended up writing it, though. Yeah. Uh, who was the actual listed writer? Was it Alvin uh, Sargent? Alvin Sargent. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Who knows how much of uh, how much of what actually ended up on the screen from any of those earlier writers? Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Chabon always said, uh, you know, you know, if if you want to know if you want to know what was you know what my contribution to the script was, what was your favorite part? Then I wrote that. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, just one of those things. Sure. Well, that's just the way script writing in Hollywood goes, you know. Yes, there. You you have no way. You know, people get credited, even though they may have had negligible influence on the final product. Yeah. Well, so getting back to Jackie Chan, and I think we can pretty, pretty much wrap it up after this. Um, so he's directing, producing, and wrote, I guess, um, Chinese Zodiac? Yes. Um, and, and starring in it to some extent. Um, this is his, some sort of action farewell. I mean, th- he's almost 60 years old, right? Well, let's see. I think they say here he was born in 1954. So, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, even Jackie Chan's got to slow down sometimes. <laughs> Well, you know, I think that if you've been paying attention to his movies, he's he's 
you know, been slowing down for quite some time. Right. I mean, more than 10 years. I mean, even when you, even Rush Hour, you know, it was obvious by that point that he had lost a step. Right. You know, he just wasn't, he just, I mean, I, I would say, like, the last time that he was truly physically impressive in a movie was probably First Strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the police story for whatever you want to call it, uh, back in 1996. Like, that was kind of the last time that he was really, really impressive yeah. in a movie. Um, you know, he's also got comic chops, and you can make up for a lot by being funny. Um, oh, and, and he always did. I mean, yeah. that was, for me, that was a large part of, you know, going to see his movies was that, um, you know, he was as funny as he was impressive. Yeah. I mean, he's got a great screen persona. Um, so what, which movie is it? I, it's not Rumble in the Bronx, but the, um, the movie that's, I think it's set at least partially in Australia. That was uh, uh, Mr. Nice Guy. Okay, and that's the one where he ends up, like, naked outside his hotel room or something, right? No, that was First Strike. Okay, all right. Sorry, there's, there's a couple of them, like, that Rumble in the Bronx, First Strike, Mr. Nice Guy, all those three were just, like, like he was on a roll at that point for yeah. me, you know. I can so just I think would, of it, you're probably right, I think First Strike was also in Australia, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah just great, great stuff. Yeah. Anyway, just had to get my plug in for my my favorite portion of Jackie Chan's career. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it was, the, those were some, you know, not, not always scripted very well, but they were pretty darn funny movies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, so we think he's going to start settling down into act, act, not acting, but directing and producing, or, I mean, where do you see Jackie Chan in 10 years? Oh, I mean, I think in, in 10 years he will probably be pretty strictly an actor, I think. Pretty strictly an actor. Yeah. Oh, as opposed to, uh, you know, a, a stunt person. Do you think he wants to continue directing and producing? I mean, producing he's always going to do. Yeah, the, right? that, you know, his company will always be producing movies. Um, I don't know. I'm, you know, I hate to say this. I'm not sure he has that much talent as a director of stuff other than his own movies. Mm-hmm. Other than, you know, uh, if, you know, he's always better at handling his his own ego than anybody else probably is mm. um you know he's always been a guy who wants to have control over the projects he's in um yeah i don't know that he's gonna really want to direct other people so i i kind of suspect that he'll you know be playing the wacky grandfather in movies okay check back in 10 years i'm sure we'll still be doing the podcast <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see if you're right yeah, uh, I think that wraps it up. Yeah, I think that I think that uh, that's it for us today. This has been Stomp Tokyo, the Cult Movies podcast. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as Stomp Tokyo. You can find Scott on Twitter as Scopi S C O P I. Right? Yes. Um, the show notes are at cultmoviespodcast.com. You can read all the old Stomp Tokyo stuff at stomptokyo.com. And uh, my name is Chris Holland. I'm Scott Hamilton. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.